Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Happy Friday. Today's episode, we are joined by the queen of Nap Dress Nation, founder of Hill House, Nell Diamond. I'm so excited to have her on because as you guys know, I am a nap dress fanatic and it appears a lot of the Freckled Foodie family is also a part of Nap Dress Nation. So I'm really pumped to have her give you all a little bit more insight into how she created this incredible company and truly this movement. Like I am fascinated by her ability to create a community around a piece of clothing, because I think that that is very, very rare. I honestly can't really think of many other examples like this and that have cultivated what she has. So today we kind of dive into how she founded Hill House, where the idea came from, her experience at the Yale School of Management, um, just growing a business, especially growing a business that's booming during COVID. And then we also dive into being a mother and postpartum anxiety and everything that comes along with all of the hormones. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I am really hard on myself. I get that, but this was not my best showing. I just am recording this in a time where I'm dealing with a lot of postpartum depression and my brain is just cross-firing and things are not working up to my normal par. So fortunately, Nell carried the torch in this interview. Either way, I hope you guys enjoy. And if you have not already, make sure you get your hands on a nap dress because what the hell are you waiting for? Come on in, take a seat. Okay, we're back. We're having a few technical difficulties, but that is life. Nell, thank you so much for joining Freckled Foodie and Friends. There are so many members of the FF family who are huge members of Napdress Nation, so people are very excited to hear you. That's so awesome. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. And for everyone listening, I got a lot of questions of like, how do you actually know Nell? What's the connection? We share a very good friend, Lauren Watley, who was on the show within the past year, I believe. She talked all about making friends in the real world. So she is our connecting person among many others. I feel like our worlds are very overlapped, mainly because you went to Princeton. Um, But she is the person who originally introduced me to Hill House like way, way back when. And I'm wearing a very old school dress in honor of, 
I think this was like maybe one of the first. Yeah, no, I drops. love it. I love seeing you wear it. Yeah. So Lauren, Lauren was my college roommate. And then we lived together after college in New York City as well. One of my best friends. And she was a bridesmaid at my wedding. So she's the best. <laughs> um, she is and I'm great. so happy you're wearing. I'm so happy you're wearing that dress. That is one of I think that's like the second drop we ever did of, of not dresses, maybe the third. I mean, I have so many now. It's a true addiction. <laughs> Every time there's a new release, I message you. I'm like, fuck, I can't do this in my wallet. I don't need more, but I do. Um, and so, so nice. for people who – I feel like everyone knows what nap dresses are, but for people who are listening who might don't know what nap dresses are, what Hill House is, who you are, can you give us a quick overview just from like high level and then we'll dive in yeah. of – Hill House in general, and then the nap dress. Absolutely. So I founded Hill House in 2016, um, right out of college. I worked in sales and trading. I know you did too. Um, yes. At a bank in New York City um, and loved it. Loved my experience there. Loved the the team and, and in many ways felt like it was kind of like employee boot camp. I like learned how to be an employee. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> have an email and, you know, have a, have a review and all of those fun things. Um, how to do my 401k. Um, yep. so, so it was a great experience, but I think while I was there, um, I really realized I had this kind of passion for retail and consumer businesses that I just wasn't getting to kind of exercise at a bank. So I applied to business school, um, like in year two of my two-year analyst program, um, with a little bit of an idea and this little bit of a kind of like jewel that I was polishing in my mind was Hill House Home. So I applied to one business school. I applied to Yale School of Management in New Haven. Um, it's a relatively small business school and they have an amazing entrepreneurship program. I'm like very stubborn and impulsive with my decision making. So I was like, I'm applying to one place. And if I don't get in, business school is dead to me. That's <laughs> so literally how it was with sales and trading. <laughs> yeah. That's how it was with sales and trading. I was like, I'm applying to one. And if I get in, then I'll do it. And if I don't, yeah. it's not meant to be. Yes. Yes. So that's how I was. So I, I got into SOM. Um, I spent two years at Yale um, incubating the idea for Hell House Home. And the idea was to create a you know, a modern kind of consumer brand that was focused on lifestyle. So everything from fashion to home products to baby products and beyond, um, and really doing so with kind of an aesthetic point of view. So focusing on design, focusing on things that felt really beautifully made, um, high quality, but at the same time felt really practical and like designed for life. So the first product that we ever released was bedding. Um, so sateen and percale cotton bedding that we had manufactured in France. It was, um, I've always loved, loved, loved sleep. <laughs> My friends like joke. I like <laughs> literally could sleep anywhere. I love to sleep so much, which is why it's a real tragedy that I have three children who wake up at like 5am. Um, but that's okay. So I, I started with bedding, um, A, because I love the bedroom and I love sleep and B, because I thought it was a kind of segment of the lifestyle industry that felt really, um, in need of some newness and in need of some newness, particularly as it relates to design. So I wanted to create beautifully embroidered bedding that you could monogram that felt really high quality and felt like some of those things you might see, you know, in like traditional kind of luxurious Upper East Side bedding brands, but, you know, online for a fraction of the price. So we started with bedding, um, and then kind of slowly inched our way into other kinds categories. The category that you mentioned that we're kind of best known for is the nap dress. Um, and the nap dress is always funny for people who don't know about it. It's a bit of a misnomer. So it's not actually intended for napping. <laughs> the nap element of the name is really supposed to represent how comfortable it is. So 
theoretically, you could nap at any time, but we joke internally at Hill House because the customer who's actually buying all of our nap dresses is like never napping. <laughs> like she has not napped in never. a very, very <laughs> long time. So it's it's almost like a little bit of an inside joke, but the the nap dress kind of came out in 2019 and it was a personal project of mine. So I was really, really focused on creating a dress that I could wear for like 18 hours straight to drop off my toddler at school, to sit on a desk at a desk for hours on end, to run to drinks with my friends and dinner with my husband and run errands and still feel like myself in. Um, and something that could like last me season after season that didn't feel super trend driven, that felt like it like could be like my basics, my t-shirt, my pair of jeans that I could have lots of in my closet in different colors and fabrics. But, you know, when we launched it in 2019, I think a huge part of me was like, you know, it, it totally could be something that only I like. And I was very, I remember being very, very nervous, <laughs> but it's been great. It's and been very well, humbling and well, amazing well, to work. see everyone love it <laughs> or a lot of I people mean- love it. <laughs> No, every, I mean, we can say everyone because it's out of control. Like, and this is something I'm so fascinated by. So for me, I remember Hill House being bedding and like the store on Bleecker. And I remember the nap dress launching and being like, I'm not a huge dress person and I never have been. But for me, I saw the dress and I thought like, I can do that because it's comfortable. It looks stylish. But again, like you said, you can kind of do anything in it. You can dress it up. You can dress it down. Like the one I'm wearing right now, I quite literally have taken naps on the couch in it constantly, but I also Mm -hmm. have worn it to almost every Thanksgiving for the past two years. And Mm -hmm. same with Christmases. It got me also through my pregnancy, like the best, the best maternity dress and hence why I bought so many over the past year. But I really think what's so fascinating to me is how you have created a community, kind of a cult in a great way, (laughs) around a piece of clothing because I don't think that that exists around any other piece of clothing. I honestly don't. Like there is such a community around this nap dress and I'm curious if this was something A, you ever could have fathomed or imagined, but B, if you actively try to create because it it really blows my mind. That's so kind. Thank you so much. I mean, I think that we we certainly never had any beginnings of a clue that that people would respond this way to this product. I think that we, you know, there are hindsight is 2020. So you can like always look back in business Mm -hmm. and personal and family and say like, I should have known it then. But I think, you know, one thing that I look at now is, you know, when our first samples came in and we spent like over a year in product development on these dresses, because really it was important to us that they fit and looked great. And, you know, every stitch was important to us and continues to be important to us. But I do remember the first day that like the final samples came in and we were trying them on in the office and like feeling like full body chills. (laughs) And granted, I feel that way when I like see a nice sparkly thing in the sky. I'm like, a, <laughs> I get very excited about a lot of things, but it did feel, it felt like this was a special product. And I think that that's, you know, that's why I, I'm in this business. That's why I love my job so much. It's like this idea of creating something really working to get it to a place you want. And then like it lives its own life. And I think that's what the nap dress does now. Like it lives its nice, happy life. <laughs> it does lots of fun things without us. It's like a child that we've sent off. Um, and it's really, honestly just been like a very humbling experience I think to see people like this thing that came from you know all of our brains I mean it must be so wonderful and someone actually submitted a question asking like how do you react when you see a nap dress in the wild do you smile at the per like are you do you acknowledge the person because you've also become 
your own somewhat brand, obviously within Hill House, but like your personal Instagram. And so people definitely know who you are as well. So is there an acknowledgement? Like, hey, I like your dress. <laughs> like the, what feelings do you have? Because I'm sure it feels magical. Um, I love that question. So, I mean, it's actually very funny because I am the world's most awkward person and I have like a huge amount of anxiety. You know this, but I, I've been going to therapy every single week for the past like 15 years. Like I really overthink things. And so one of the things I really overthink is what I should do and say when I see an app dress because it, it like, and I just go, I go so dark in my brain. So I finally think I've got down what I do. So I just say, I love your dress. That's it. I either say I love your dress or I love your nap dress, depending on like how like confident I am. Like if I'm feeling super mm-hmm. confident that day, I'll say I love your nap dress. But mostly I'll just say I love your dress. And sometimes people will just be like, thank you. And like keep walking. I mean, I literally don't wear anything else. So usually people could interpret it as like, oh, we have on a similar style. So that's why mm-hmm. I'm saying it. Sometimes people like know from Instagram that I'm like involved in Hill House and they're like, thank you. And they tell me like a funny story about their nap dresses, but mostly they just say like, thanks and like keep walking. So that's my new thing. I just say, I love your dress. Um, (laughs) But my favorite thing is that my son, Henry, who's four years old, he now says thanks to people. So he, oh my God. He went up to somebody at camp this summer and he, like a, an adult woman. And he was like, excuse me, my mama made your dress. Stop. <laughs> and the woman literally looked at him like he was insane. <laughs> like, like she sewed it. Like what? It, I, I don't know what you're talking about, four-year-olds. Like what? Um, so I really, that's my favorite thing is when Henry's like, excuse me, Henry, um, you're my mama made your dress. Thanks, Henry. <laughs> that is so amazing. But I do think it's funny because, I mean, I say if I'm ever in a nap dress and I see someone on the street, I'm like, love your dress. Like there is that community yeah. where I'm not doing that if I'm in a Zara dress and I see someone else in the same dress because that happens all the fucking time as well. Yeah. But if I'm in a nap dress and I see someone in a nap dress, there's this connection of like, aha, I like your style. Yeah. And I do think it's funny because especially in the village, like, you know, where we both live, there is this type of community and you yeah. people, if you know that someone lives there, you know, I've had, I've met so many members of the Freckled family and I feel so freaking honored that people even care to say hello and have conversations with me. But there is that like, I don't, and I feel this way about other people. I'm like, I don't know whether I should say something to them. I don't know whether do I address it? Do I just smile like people I follow? And Joe is like that awkward bystander where people will sometimes just scream things at him. And he's like, I don't know how to react to this. So the social anxiety is very real. But I think the way you go about it is perfect because even if someone doesn't know who you are, they're then just being reassured that they should buy more nap dresses. So you're kind of also just building in more business. Yeah. Um, So I want to go back for a second about business school because I got a lot of questions about this. And I know a lot of people who are listening are in that kind of age range where either they're in business school, they've gone to business school, or they're considering going to business school. And when you went in, I know you said you had this like idea for betting. Was fashion always going to be part of this company or was this kind of a ladder evolvement and I guess concept that came in throughout business school or was this always kind of the plan going into Yale? Yeah, you know, I, I'm this question is so interesting too. I think I I can be if I'm feeling very hard on myself, I think that I 
wonder why I didn't go straight into fashion right out of college because this is mm-hmm. not it, it's not difficult I mean my friends who like have known me since like lower school middle school when they see what I'm doing now they're like obviously like you have been right. this person you have been obsessed with fashion your entire life like I was wearing you know like dress up dresses like at eight years old and experimenting with like crazy <laughs> colors of makeup and you know I, I just it's always been my mode of creative expression and it brings me such joy and so I wonder why I didn't choose to do that. And I think that I remember feeling when I was at Princeton, I remember feeling like the message was, you know, I'm a serious person and I have all these analytical skills and fashion would not be like serious enough for me. And I'm just so sad for that, like messaging. (laughs) I'm so sad Mm -hmm. that I internalized the idea that fashion is not a business that can be taken seriously. Because when you think about the things that, you know, we constantly are compartmentalizing things that women enjoy into these categories of like not serious, not professional, not, um, you know, worthy of time. When at the same time, you know, there are plenty of things that, that men enjoy that are, are heralded as like great, you know, huge businesses. Um, you know, sports is just one example, although obviously people of both genders like sports and fashion. Um, it's, it's sad to me that I didn't feel like I could pursue it right away. So that's when mm-hmm. I get hard on myself. I think about that. At the same time, you know, I, I'm I, I think I was able to see pretty quickly while I was at a bank um, what actually like made me want to get out of bed and what actually made me want to work really hard. Um, and that was the like these iconic brands, consumer brands. I was like watching these consumer brands. My friends were in equity research, which I was not, I was in rates. My friends were in equity research. I was like constantly wanted to know about these like big retail giants and what they were thinking and how they were evolving as like e-commerce and direct to consumer was becoming such a big thing. And so I, I followed that little red brick road at business school and it led me to where I am today. But when I'm feeling regretful, I wish that I had gone into fashion earlier because I think it, it, would have been a better experience. But I also think, I mean, I totally understand where you're coming from because there's so many times that I look back at certain aspects of my job and business and I'm like, wait, why didn't I do this earlier? Or why didn't I focus more time on that? And there's this funny trend right now on TikTok that's like, why didn't I just start dancing all of a sudden for my phone in the beginning of 2020 and now have millions of followers, but instead I'm still at my laptop sending emails like, sure, I'll get this to you by Monday. Like there's always this hindsight of why didn't I do more of that? But I know kind of, you said this in the beginning and I completely feel the same of going into sales and trading for me, I can speak for myself was such an incredible training for how to work with a business mindset because it's fucking cutthroat and you can't just like not get back to someone or just sit around and twiddle your thumbs. Like you, it it really instilled and fostered because I had one beforehand, but really fostered an incredible work ethic I found that then helped me throughout what I was doing after the fact. And I think it also, exactly to what you said, it made it very clear that like I was in municipal sales. So within fixed income, I actually interned on rates, but it made it very clear that like I don't freaking care about bonds. That's just not something I care about. Like I, I'm not going to wake up on the weekend and go read about what's happening in the muni market. And that's not how I want to spend my life. And I think for anyone who's listening, who's maybe in a career that they felt 
they had to pursue, but they're not obsessed with. Someone once said to me, like, take those moments of instead of viewing them as red flags, like, oh, I don't really think I like this, view it as a green flag. Like, oh, I don't like this aspect of my job. So how can I figure out a career that includes a different focus? Like for me, it was, I was always obsessed with food. I was always the one walking around the trading floor. Like, what are we doing for lunch? Where are you going? Where'd you get that meal? Where'd you go for dinner last night? Like, oh, what are the new restaurants you're trying? And so when I eventually said I was leaving to go pursue something in food, everyone was like, well, no shit. Like that makes so much sense. So I think it's figuring out like what those things are for you, whoever is listening and is curious, and then potentially trying to find a career focus in that space. Not that it necessarily has to happen immediately, but starting to, you know, start your way down that path. Yeah. I mean, I think also like our, our generation, millennial generation was, has been fed a lie that we should find our passion and work will never yep. like work. That's not true. Work is work. Work Agreed. is a paycheck. Work is a job. And I think that that myth is what leads to overwork and it leads to people not having boundaries and not, you know, feeling like they can devote time to other things in their life that they care about. So I think that I think about that a lot right now. Like I am in a position right now where I love what I do, but at the end of the day, it's really important to me to set boundaries because I have three kids, you know, I have other interests in my life and, you know, my mental health matters too. So I think that, I think that I certainly felt like I felt the pressure for like in my early twenties to mid twenties that I was supposed to be finding a passion that made me just like light up. And right. that's not the case. I don't think I don't think anyone <laughs> is like that. I think there are very few people in the world who like truly feel like they're living their passion from their job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that 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 like dispelling that myth is important, and that it's okay also to have like you know everything is a phase. I say this in parenthood too. Like every time I'm in a phase of parenthood, you know, right now my twins are. 11 months old. And, um, every time I'm in a phase, I think like the phase is going to last forever. And then I'll, and I've got everything down and then all of a sudden everything changes. And I think that's true for life and for jobs too. And that you really just have to like constantly take inventory of your life and say, what's important to me at this stage in my life. And if like the top things that are important to you are like, you know, for right now, for the next two to three years, I have XYZ goals and I need to be focused more on the paycheck that I'm getting than like the type of work that I'm doing. That's valid too. Or if you care more about, you know, the, the work-life balance or any of those things, like the, the time you go in, um, to the office is super important to you. Like seek out jobs that have that. It's not just the subject matter, which I think is, is really important. I agree. And I think I've actually said this as well, where I do think we've been sold a lie that work can be this thing that you love every aspect of. And exactly what you said is literally, I just finished therapy before this call. And that's exactly what we're discussing is me setting boundaries because I'm really, really bad at setting them. And my work has completely blended into my life and I can't figure out how to disassociate the two and it's not good for my mental health and it's impacting me as a parent drastically. And I think what my friend said when I was speaking with a friend in the industry the other day, she's like, you have to remember sometimes like this is work. You don't have to love every aspect. And like, instead of beating yourself up for being pissed off that you have to do something or dreading something or like being frustrated over something, remember like, okay, but this is my job. Not every aspect of this is going to be fun because I think when you set the precedent that it has to or the expectation, then it's that double whammy of I'm not having fun. I'm not enjoying this. And I'm pissed off because I'm supposed to be. And these supposed to be, I think, is a lie that we've been sold. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm curious, you mentioned your two twins are 11 months old and you also, how old is Henry? Four? Four, yeah. 
Okay. So you have your hands full. That mm-hmm. is for sure. This past year, I would assume you'd agree, or honestly, like during COVID, I think the nap dress really took off. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. How were you managing all of that alongside having children right with this takeoff of a dress? Because I think it's very hard for me personally. I felt like, oh, I'm growing so much and there's so much engagement and so much attention and eyes on me while I just had Liam. And I was like, but I don't want to do the work side. I'm having a really hard time focusing on him. And like, did you how were you able to separate those two things when Hill House was booming, but you were also dealing with two very fresh newborns? Yeah, I would say I had a harder time the first time. So I found out I was pregnant um, with Henry a week after I launched Hill House. So I was 27 years old, which, you know, most of the world is not very young, but in New York is like crazy. <laughs> yeah. So I was 27 years old and I was pregnant and most of my friends were like literally at the club, like when I peed on a stick and found out. So <laughs> it was a, it was a very, very intense adjustment for me. I'd never held a baby. I didn't, you know, know any kids. Um, so, so I think that that was difficult. And I also, you know, had this plan of launching this company that was going to be, you know, a huge part of my life. And so I think that I think the first year of Henry's life of my pregnancy and my business was very, very difficult. Also, because it was really just me, my only employee kind of quit, like, literally, like, basically the same day I found out I was pregnant. So for a while, I was totally alone in this business. And it felt I felt very isolated and, you know, very um, confused in many ways. I would say this time, you know, four and a half years later, I, I've been building this business for so long. You know, we've built this foundation that is so strong. We built a profitable business with customers who we love, who we have great relationships with, with, you know, manufacturers who we've been working with and like consistently, you know, paying and purchasing things from for, for years at this point. And, and we had a really solid team. So I think that going into the pandemic, we were in, you know, a, a significantly better position. Obviously, it was there were also very challenging moments on the the business side and the personal side, but mm-hmm. you know the other amazing thing is that you know my team has lots of other moms on it and um you know of the kind of senior management at Hill House, three of us had kids in you know the 12 months of the pandemic. Um and, you know, kind of trading off <laughs> going into labor, basically. Um, yeah. So I think that having that that kind of supportive network and, and also the understanding of other team members was just really huge. So that was awesome. Um, I'd also say, you know, work from home during COVID had challenges and positive parts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm certainly, I'm coming to you live from my bedroom right now. Our office opens like next Same. week. Um, but you know, I find it very challenging at this stage to still be working from home. I cannot wait to get back into an office, but you know, in, when I was newly postpartum with twins, you know, it was really, really amazing to be able to fully show up for work and, um, you know, still be a couple of feet away from, from my babies at the same time. Yeah, I think there's such a positive side of working from home. I also think then, again, it's hard to what we were speaking about before. It's, it is hard to implement boundaries and it is hard to find the balance between the two. But I do think it allowed so many people to be more involved in their children's lives when maybe they couldn't have been otherwise at that exact time. Yeah, You've also recently done an incredible collaboration with one of my favorite shows, Bridgerton. Mm-hmm. And 
I would just love to hear how that came about because I'm fascinated. I saw, I mean, I saw what you posted on Instagram of like the DM you sent, but for people listening, can you kind of walk us through how that happened? Have you always been interested in doing collaboration with another company of sorts or was this kind of sprung upon its own? Because when I even was watching Bridgerton, I was like, this is Naftress Nation. Like it, yeah. it was such a fluid and organic collaboration from a consumer's standpoint. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was totally a dream come true. I think if we like had to write down like our top five collaborators, certainly Netflix and Phenomenal were the Sh- and Shondaland were at the top <laughs> of our list. So it was yeah. definitely a, a an incredible, incredible moment for us as a business. So Mina Harris, who's the founder of Phenomenal, um, a huge inspiration to me and, and just a wonderful person all around, reached out to me um, via Instagram and um, kind of floated the idea by us and we kind of got to work. So we reached out to Diane Hill, who's an incredible artist based out of London, um, super, super talented to design this unique Bridgerton print that we then sold um, in collaboration with Shondaland, Netflix and and Phenomenal. Um, we sold two or no, three different dresses are of our like best selling nap dresses with these these unique patterns on them. And it was a really, really cool moment. Definitely a career highlight. Absolutely. I mean, and also they sold out like ridiculously fast, which is another question I have. Someone else, someone asked this, someone submitted this, and I'm curious as well. You, this, I would love to know how, A, you guys decided to do like the nap dress room because I think it's a really smart concept where you're like virtually speaking to all the consumers before the launch. And also like what the business mindset is, if there is strategy, which I'm assuming there is, of like each launch and how everything is timed and what the decisions are going into it of how many of each dress are being ordered and how that all works. Because I do think it it also has created, again, I think it's part of what's cultivated this incredible community because everyone knows when they should be on the website, when they should be looking and everyone gets very hyped up. You guys do an incredible job of like hyping up your community for what's to come. Well, so, I mean, first of all, I'll start with the fact that we never mean to sell out. We're not trying to sell out. Of course. <laughs> um, so I think that's been that's been something that I've always tried to emphasize when, when I talk to people. Um, you know, when we were a direct-to-consumer company, which means we literally sell all of our product on our own site, right? We don't have, like, a wholesaler like Bloomingdale's coming in and saying, we'll take, you know, XYZ amount of this dress. We're basically, like, sticking our finger in the air and guessing. So, you know, the first couple nap dress drops, we you know, kept selling out and kept selling out. And then we would increase the orders and we would still sell out. We finally think that by expanding our assortment and, you know, just increasing the number of our best sellers by, you know, less conservative amounts, we're finally at a point where we're not sold out on launch day, which is amazing. (laughs) This is actually like our first time that we like still have stock right after launch day, which is our goal. But it's, it's a really difficult you know, decision making process, because I think it's hugely important to me to not create this like waste and markdown cycle in fashion, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to oversupply the market with our product, and then have to mark it down or destroy it or do any of the other things that these like big fashion companies tend to do. So it's a delicate balance. And then, you know, we focus on profitability. So, you know, inventory costs money. We, we spend, a, you know, a ton of our, our capital on buying our inventory, paying our factories for our inventory before we sell it to customers. So it's really a delicate dance. But I think that what's been amazing is that 
um, you know, having the platform of Instagram through which to communicate with our top customers and Napdress Nation has, it, it's felt like, you know, Napdress Nation has been uniquely and, and intimately involved in the process, right? Even just by like responding to my stories when I, I share a sneak peek of something in the design process, that's information that helps us understand like how popular something is going to be and buy deeply into it. And I think that, you know, our our customers seem to mostly understand we are like real open book. (laughs) We are telling you exactly how we're doing things and we're preparing you and we're always going to, you know, do our best to, to make things right by you. Um, and, and I think that, that based on the responses we've gotten, you know, when we do sell out, um, people seem to understand that we're always going to figure out a way to bring stuff back. And I think that that's, part of the way you've created this community is bring us along for the ride. Because like, like you said, like we do feel invested as consumers and bystanders, like watching it from beginning, like when you do sneak peeks of fabrics and then when we get sneak peeks of shoots and then when it's an actual launch, I'm like, oh, well, I've seen, like, I feel like I'm a part of this team now, even though I'm not whatsoever. Well, you guys are like, it's such an isolating thing to be an entrepreneur, (laughs) like really. And like to have a business that's like done most, has been done mostly on Zoom. Like I literally could not do it. Like the reason I do, you know, there's no strategy behind, you know, my Instagram, like zero. Mm -hmm. I'm not like showing sneak peeks on a certain day or like doing anything, you know, purposely on that. It's I'm like when I get these samples, I'm like genuinely I'm like okay I gotta show the girls <laughs> like I gotta show of people course girls. Like, <laughs> you know so I think that that's that is probably something I never would have anticipated would be you know a positive for the business it's I, it's like almost like I'm like doing it selfishly I'm like I need to talk to people about this <laughs> like I need to show people now I can't keep it in I'm the worst secret keeper <laughs> I mean I said the other day on Instagram I'm like my toxic trait is that I can't fucking keep anything from you guys like I just I can't I physically cannot. And it bites me in the ass sometimes, but I also think that what it does is create a community because it's true. It can be really isolating when, I mean, you have a team now, but like still as an entrepreneur and especially working from home, it can be really isolating. And I'm curious, you mentioned therapy and you're a big supporter of therapy and mental health is very important to you and you struggle with anxiety. How has that journey been as an entrepreneur and as a boss and like feeling that type of responsibility? Because it weighs on me a lot knowing that like I'm responsible for paying my own bills. It's not like I show up to an office and I'm guaranteed a paycheck every day. And then I can't even imagine going a step further and having an actual team of people that I'm responsible for paying. Yeah. I mean, look, there are ups and downs and for anybody with anxiety and, and, you know, who has struggled with their mental health, there are real ups and downs. Um, and I think that, you know, for me, therapy is like how some people work out, right. It's a workout for my brain. Mm -hmm. It's an exercise for my brain in a vacuum, in a like no stress environment, I would still find a way to have anxiety because it's, you know, quite literally coded in my brain and particularly around pregnancy and and postpartum, your hormones just, you know, wreak complete havoc on your brain chemistry. So, um, that combined with like actual real world stressors, like a pandemic, like having newborns, like running a business and paying people's paychecks, you know, I think that can, can affect anxiety in a different way. So I would say I, I really take inventory of how I'm doing and I dial it up when I need it. You know, I had a a period kind of in the early parts of 2021 where, I right around when I stopped breastfeeding, I had incredible, incredible hormone crashes. And the twin pregnancy hormone crashes are are 
something like I've never experienced in my life. And it was manifesting in intrusive thoughts, um, which is an mm-hmm. incredibly common uh, symptom of postpartum anxiety. But it yeah, felt like I, I couldn't even get them. through my day. Um, the intrusive thoughts were so bad that I was just like, you know, things like, you know, holding a baby on a wood floor. And I was like, yeah. I actually can't hold the baby on the wood floor because I'm so scared the baby's going to drop on the wood floor. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I felt, you know, there was a minute where I was, you know, sitting in bed and getting up every couple hours and thinking like, okay, I can do this. I've handled everything. I got through a high, high risk pregnancy in a pandemic. I'm like working, I'm figuring stuff out. I can get through this too. There are some things you don't muscle through. You don't muscle through brain chemistry problems, but there's no muscle mm-hmm. that works. <laughs> so I think that that was a point where I knew, all right, I need, you know, not just my therapist. I need to talk to my doctor. I need to talk to my psychiatrist. I literally made like four appointments the next day. And I'm like, we're nipping this in the butt. I don't mess around with this. Um, and again, it's not like you have an instant fix, but after dialing it up, um, you know, I, I have seen like a significant improvement in, in intrusive thoughts, significant improvement in anxiety. But, you know, again, it's like this roller coaster thing. Like there are periods of my life that will be particularly high anxiety. You know, some will be because of environmental stressors. Some will be just because of my brain chemistry. And um, all of those reasons are okay. And it's okay to ask for help in all of those. Yes. And what you said rings very true for my situation as well. The past, I'm four months as of yesterday postpartum. And it's, I've never in my entire life experienced four harder months ever, um, harder than I ever could have imagined and taking a massive toll on my mental health, specifically with my anxiety. And I suffered from really, really intrusive thoughts. I called them final destination style thinking because it would be as if like every time I walked through a doorway holding Liam, every time I went near our kitchen island, every time you know, I would even have them in bed where we don't co-sleep, but I would wake up in the middle of the night convinced that he was somehow wrapped in the sheets and that like he he had somehow gotten into our bed or I'd fallen asleep with him. It it's really terrifying because you have these hallucinations as if it it feels so real that it completely consumes you. And it's at the very time common, yeah. I, I had never heard anyone talk about it. And I thankfully texted a few of my friends who are new mothers. And I was like, hey, I am literally envisioning these horrendous things. And I'm massively concerned. And they also, for, not fortunately, but they had experienced it. They told me. And I, too, am on um, anxiety medication. I talked with my psychiatrist, my doctor, my therapist, everyone about it. And I do feel I've gotten to a better place with the postpartum anxiety but the hormonal roller coaster that is postpartum weighed with a normally anxious brain has been a very eye-opening experience because it can go from zero to 60 in a split freaking second. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was it was such a turning point for me when I did start talking to like my actual doctor and my psychiatrist too, because, you know, I think my whole life I've been, I've been very good at muscling through things. I can, like, I don't complain. I get to work. I just figure it out. And that's just always been who I am. But as I mentioned, you know, you can't tough out a chemical imbalance and it's not strong. It's not brave. The actual brave thing is to like wake up on a Monday morning, pick up the phone because phones are a big trigger for me when I'm feeling really anxious, like talking on the phone, pick up the phone, (laughs) call the front desk of your doctor and just go ask them, go ask a professional for advice on what you can do. And once I kind of made that decision, um, 
that was the brave thing. It was the brave, the, actually the cowardly thing was to like stay inside my body and stay inside the little chemical imbalance. And once I did that, literally like two minutes into my conversation with my psychiatrist and my doctor, they're like, oh yeah. And literally every postpartum woman I speak to has intrusive thoughts to the point where they can't cross the street or like mm-hmm. you know, the bed, t- the sheet tangled thing is yes. like, it's like the being naked in your high school cafeteria thing. Like it's so incredibly common. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. All right. I feel right. better now that it's common. Again, it doesn't mean it's like immediately fixed, but it did make me feel better to know intrusive thoughts are like such a common thing for postpartum. Well, it always feels better to know that you're not alone. Honestly, exactly. what I'm struggling with right now is that my brain feels like it does not work. And I don't yeah. know if you've experienced this, but I cannot form sentences. Like honestly, throughout this entire interview, I've been like, Cameron, you're not making sense. Like, I cannot form sentences. And the other day I was trying to send an email and I sat at my computer for 15 minutes trying to just put together a five sentence email asking someone a question. And I had to highlight, delete, highlight, delete, highlight, delete before I finally shut the computer and was like, you just can't do this right now. Like you just need to take a step back. But that to me, it's, it's almost like I'm missing this cross wiring or there is a cross wiring in my brain where the words truly cannot be formed and come out correctly. <laughs> You, you're conducting an interview. You've done 45 minutes of an interview without stumbling over a single word or sentence. So you're doing pretty well. <laughs> I love you. Thank you. You are really doing well. I mean, I, I think that also like there is this element of like, you know, we, we tell ourselves these things that are changing and it's so often like, so not evident to other people. So, yes. um, you know, it's important to get, get perspective and know that, that no one would ever know that you're struggling with that. Well, thank you. I am definitely someone who's very harsh on myself. Um, I want to say one other comment that I meant to say in the beginning, and then I have just two listener questions, but I meant to say this in the beginning. I One of the most interesting things, I guess it's about you. I don't know how to verbalize this specifically, but I we are very different. We are very similar in certain ways, but I also feel we are very different in other ways. And for me to be so interested and feel connected and intrigued by someone who I do not resonate with at all from a fashion standpoint, because like you're, I feel like you've said on your Instagram, like, I can't imagine you wearing sweats and sneakers. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I feel like you are always fucking put together. Like your makeup is always put together. I mean, you can just, the best thing for me was when you posted your hospital outfit when you left. Like, (laughs) I fucking can't. I remember I, I said this I low. I was like, I've never not related to someone more yet loved them so much and somehow felt connected to them. It's the oddest thing to me and I can't explain it. And you are truly an anomaly for me because I do not fa- follow fashion people or feel like I can relate to them or connect with them. But you have this wonderfully warm and inviting side of still always looking put together. And I think for me, I never feel put together and therefore, and this is literally something I talk about with my therapist, I almost feel looked down upon by people who do always seem put together and I never in a million years feel like you give off that energy or aura. So I want to compliment you on that because I think it's a wonderful like balance of life you've somehow maneuvered of inviting everyone and like feeling this warmth while still like having your shit always together and looking incredible because it blows my mind how you always look so magnificent. Thank you. Well, first of all, I would say, you know, that thing that people say about um, when you go to the gym and you like think everyone's looking at you, but like really everyone's so focused on like themselves that they're oh, not yes, looking yes, at yes. you. I feel that way about fashion. Like 
it's everyone is so focused on themselves. I like they just are not noticing what other people are wearing, like or what their makeup's like. Everyone's so into themselves. But I would also say, you know, I think that my my parents used to always call this like flying your freak flag. Like this is just who I am. Like I feel so much better about myself and my mental health if I have my makeup done, I have like my cute shoes on and I feel really put together. That's who I am. It doesn't mean that I think everyone else needs to be that way. It's just who I am. Mm-hmm. Like it's people always joke that my husband Teddy and I look like we're going to totally different events like I look like I'm going to black my <laughs> wedding and he literally looks like he's going to sleep like constantly yeah. um and I love that <laughs> I think it's great but yeah I think it's like you know that's one of the reasons I love the nap dress this one product is really designed to be taken as you will right anyone totally. can wear it and put their own spin on it I might wear it with six inch platforms and glitter eyeshadow and like a crazy hairstyle but I love it with sneakers and like a jean I wear jacket. it with my air force ones so I wore cute. it out of the hospital with my air force ones and I was like yeah. this is very me yeah it's for um, you so I love you can make it your own so the two main questions that I got one is what do you see for the future of hill house you know, I think I want to continue. So there's this this dichotomy between the dichotomy that we think about with an app dress, right? Which is the combination of practical and beautiful at the same time. So something that like is machine washable, something that is flexible in both like use case, as in you can wear it to dinner or work or sleep, and in its fit. So if you want to eat like three burgers at lunch, which some days I do, you don't feel like you have to go change. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's a great then, Thanksgiving meal. Dress. Great Thanksgiving meal. But then at the same time, it also feels special and beautiful. And, and you know, I think the feedback that we've gotten from customers since 2019 about the nap dress is when they put it on, they feel special and they feel, you know, ready to take on the day and they feel presentable. And that's just such a gift, like to have that in your life. So I think we want to continue to create products that have that combination of practice practicality and beauty at the same time, that you don't have to choose one or the other. You get to have both at the same time. And we want to expand that across other categories. Um, And then I think we also want to continue to create products that can last in your life, products that you know work for you, look good on you, and can live in your closet for a long time and that you don't need to think too much. Um, So I think that's the big picture vision. But more than that, I think super excited to hopefully open a physical space in New York City in the near future, growing the team um, and and new products, new product lines. We've got two new product lines coming next year, which I can't wait to share. I saw the one like velvet looking <laughs> style dress that you posted and so that cute. will absolutely be my Christmas look. Um, will just piggybacking off of this, are there ideas or things being thrown out there for potential little boy outfits? Yes. Because this okay. by next summer, by next summer, <laughs> perfect. So because a lot of people next ask. Next summer, you'll be good. <laughs> and I need to match with Liam. Yeah, um, I have two then, boys, so I really I know. Want to do it. <laughs> I was like, she, I, she must also want this. Um, yes, I do. And then another question that a lot of people ask is, how the fuck do you keep your hair so beautiful? Okay. I am an extremely (laughs) high maintenance person with everything but my hair and everybody hates this answer, but long hair is extremely low maintenance. I don't ever heat style my hair. I don't ever blow dry my hair. What I do is I wash it like every other day and I go to sleep with it in two braids. It's in one braid, long braid right now, but I go to sleep with it wet in two braids. And then when I wake up, I unbraid it and it's got like a little bit of a wave, but it's not, you know, hugely curly. And that's it. I am 
extremely, wow. extremely hairy. Like I literally have to shave my legs like twice a day. So what you see on my head, <laughs> you like, need to get laser or else. Yeah. No laser. They're like, ah, oh, not a candidate. I'm like, literally. Really? Like, I'm, I, I feel like yeah, you're the I'm perfect like, candidate because you have dark know, hair and light skin. Pale skin and dark hair. They're like, yeah, something about you, girl. I'm like, I'm just hairy. They're like, yep, you're incredible. I got it done because I'm really fucking hairy too. But my hair on my head is thin. The rest of my hair is thick. It, it's almost more frustrating. Um, yeah. But I'm fascinated by your hair as well because it's beautiful and it's so Thank thick you. and I'm jealous because I have thin hair. Well, I do have the post – I have the crazy postpartum hair breakage. Oh, yeah. I can't wear a high ponytail right now because it's just a crown. It's a literal crown of postpartum hairs, but – um, I'm scared I'm, for mine to come. I got to look into what to take because I feel like there's got to be something to try and help the situation. I think it's patience. I think you got to like just yeah. wait. I mean, it really sucks for a couple of months, but. <laughs> I've suddenly gotten like these curly things because I always yeah, usually have my hair up. And yeah, I've just got these like curly little things yeah, flowing down my face. Yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. It's like. Yeah, I mean, oh, this whole, yes. this, this whole section <laughs> was like gone for a, a bunch of months and like, really? all that short hair. Yeah. See, this oh is gosh. all postpartum regrowth. It's yeah. gonna come. It's gonna it's come. Real. Like, it really, really hits you. It was worse with twins because it's like double. I'm, I, I get, <laughs> literally don't know how you had twins. I <laughs> will never understand. Um, you are a hero in my mind. So thank you so much for joining. This was so much fun, and I really hope everyone listening enjoyed getting an inside look to their favorite nap dress nation queen. Um, <laughs> for people listening, where is the best place to follow you for more? So my Instagram account is at Nelly Diamond, N-E-L-L-I-E Diamond. And then Hill House is just at Hill House, H-I-L-L-H-O-U-S-E. And we're hillhousehome.com. And everything will be in the show notes, guys. Do not worry. Please send – if you're listening to this episode, go put on your nap dress yes, and take please. a photo and tag us because I love when people <laughs> share on their stories that they're listening to the show and that would just be even better. So thank yeah. you, Nell, so much and thank you guys for listening. Thanks for having me. Hi, guys. I feel like this end of show is going to be pretty low energy because I am unwell right now. I'm still lying in bed in my pajamas and it's 11 o'clock. It's Thursday, so the day before this episode releases. And I'm 99% sure I have mastitis. Um, I'm not happy about it. It is what it is. I was going to talk about why I chose to stop breastfeeding. So I guess this is timely. And we're going to get through it. I just, God, it freaking hurts. Like my whole body is in aches and chills and my head just feels 10,000 pounds. You know that like flu feeling where you brush your hair after a shower and your whole body gets the chills? Like that's how I feel permanently right now. That's the only way I can verbalize these feelings. Um, so breastfeeding. Honestly, like a lot of this decision was made after this recording with Nell. After our conversation, this was recorded on a not great mental health day for me. And I felt like I had kind of hit this breaking point where not only was I really struggling, but I also wasn't succeeding at my job because I was just so not happy or well. And I also wasn't succeeding as a mom because I was so tired. And again, like mentally checked out and honestly just really sad. And the last episode with Liz Moody at the end, I talk about, you know, why I decided to go on the social media break and take a break from work. And I really, what I did to focus on my mental health and this interview with Nell was a huge 
factor in making that decision as you hear her say she's like the brave decision is to wake up in the morning and actually ask for help and call your professionals and the morning after this interview that's exactly what I did so thank you Nell for helping me through this um with that time off I started to realize that I the breastfeeding aspect of everything was honestly not helping my mental health and in fact it was detrimental to my mental health um I always wanted to try breastfeeding. It was not easy for us in the beginning, but we powered through and then it became this like easy process. And so for me, I actually really enjoy the act of feeding, like when he is on my boob and we are feeding. I really love that moment, but I honestly dislike everything else about it. I really dislike that I have to be the one every single time to feed him and that like it's on me to always be there. I feel locked to our couch or, you know, wherever we are, we, I just feed on the couch. But, like, I just feel locked to this schedule because, honestly, I am. I can't leave for the day even when we have people helping us care for him. I'm still back and forth within the apartment and it stops me from fully leaving for the day to go work. And it's just mentally and physically draining. And, honestly, physically, it is draining. It is so tiring. Um, I really want my boobs back to be mine. And I'm not saying from like an aesthetic purpose. Yeah, that'd be nice. I don't think that's going to happen. But I mean more just not like their only purpose is to be my boobs. They're not a food source. They're not constantly filling and draining and leaking in the mornings. Like I just want to feel more like myself. I also think it's playing a huge role into my hormones. And I mean, quite honestly, I also really miss weed and CBD. And like, I know that people will have opinions about that, but they really help my mental health. And I haven't been using either while breastfeeding because there's just not enough research on it. So it came with a lot of back and forth. And like, I started to realize that I was dreaming of this world where I was no longer breastfeeding. And then it kind of came to my attention of like, I control this aspect. So why do I have to dream about this world when I can actually make it a reality? Like no one is telling me I have to be breastfeeding. And obviously there's a lot of pressure from society and this is a whole different topic, but you know, there's this pressure that the baby always has to come first and that as the the old belief that breast is best, which is such bullshit in today's world now that we have these incredible formula options. And for me, I don't know. I Obviously, there's a part of me that still feels guilty. I hate even saying that. But there is a small part of me that's like, am I doing this for the wrong reasons? Like, am I being selfish? But then I remember, like, in order to be a good mom, I have to be a good version of myself. And right now, for the foreseeable future, I mean, once I make this decision, it's permanent, which also is kind of overwhelming to me. But to be the best mom I can be, I need to be the best version of myself. And to be that best version of myself, my mental health has to come first. And therefore, I have to stop breastfeeding. And it's as simple as that. And for anyone else who's going through this experience, just remember that it's your decision. Like, no one else gets an opinion on this matter. It is your body and your decision. And if anyone has anything to say, you can show them the door. Um, so I started two weeks, uh, yeah, a week and a half ago, almost two weeks ago. And my plan right now, I'm doing four breastfeedings. And originally, I was doing four breastfeedings and one pump at the end of the night for his bottle the next day because he's five total feeds. And so I was going to just drop a feed a week because – I have a bit of an oversupply. I was really nervous about mastitis because I've had it before and it's hell. And 
I dropped the first feed and my body kind of adjusted pretty easily. And then I dropped the second feed. So I dropped the one o'clock feed and then the four o'clock feed. And that was a few days ago. And right now my body is in so much pain. I mean, I am like 99% sure I have mastitis. When this comes out, I guess we'll know for sure. So I'll either be on my antibiotic or not. I'm waiting for my doctor to call me back. But now I'm not quite sure what my plan is because honestly, I just want to fucking get it done with now. I'm just over it. Um, we've been using milk from the freezer stash to make bottles because I ha- we had a stash from the beginning of postpartum when I had such an oversupply and I was pumping so much. Um, and then we're going to start doing 50-50 with the frozen milk and formula to introduce the formula and then he will be fully formula. I will share what formula we go with once we find one that he likes. We haven't tried introducing any yet, but I will keep you all posted. Um, I'm going to continue to share about this journey because honestly, I don't think it's I mean, based on all the comments and DMs on my content, you guys agree that this whole like weaning process isn't discussed. And I was under the same illusion. It was like, oh, well, I'll breastfeed until I don't want to breastfeed. And honestly, just breastfeeding in general, like we have been sold this lie that it's like, oh, sure, it's just easy. And you decide when you want and you decide when you want to stop. And breastfeeding is really hard. And I've watched myself and so many of my close friends struggle in those first few weeks of postpartum. And we were all just under this ruse that after the baby was born, they latch and then that's that. And when you decide you want to stop breastfeeding, you just pull the plug and that's that. And that's not the case. So yet again, another topic that is not discussed enough. Um, So that's kind of like my biggest life update right now. I feel like everything else is so second, I don't know, taking a back seat because this is such a focus. Um, It was our our three-year wedding anniversary this week, which... I cannot believe it's been three years. I'm blown away. We went out to dinner. It was great. It was our first night date alone without Liam. Thank you to my in-laws for watching him. And this weekend I get to meet my nephew. And I am so excited. And Liam and him will meet and I cannot wait. So I hope you guys have a wonderful Friday. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm so happy that I was able to speak with Nell and that I have her as a friend in this world. I really admire her so much and I love what she has to say. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. I love doing this more than anything in the world. If you could be so kind as to rate and or review the show, share a screenshot on your Instagram story, whatever you feel like doing to show some love, I would really appreciate it. Obviously follow at Pod on Instagram and me at Freckled Foodie for more content. Thank you for being a part of the FF fam and I hope you have a wonderful day.